So lovingly, full of love, you are love. You surrendered your life so we can have life.
always thinks of herself as fairly ordinary. Just an ordinary single, middle-aged mum with an ordinary tiring job. She navigates through the ordinary dramas of life, but at the end of the day she just gets on with it. Nothing to shout about, nothing to write home about, at least that's what she feels. But in truth, Anne doesn't get too much time to think about all this because Anne's busy. She has lots of people making demands on her. She has children that need to be taken to school, to friends, to shops. Anne often feels like a taxi driver, but she's not a taxi driver, she's a teaching assistant in a challenging school. She supports the teacher, puts up displays, works with small groups of children, at times acting like a cross between a sheepdog and a NATO peacekeeping force. She enjoys the job, most days, but gets home really tired, just in time to put a taxi driver's hat on again. So to keep fit, she goes to her aerobics classes twice a week. Keep saying she makes sure she makes time for friends who can share the good times and the bad times with her. And at the end of the day, she winds down in front of the telly, whilst talking to her parents on the phone, feeling slightly guilty that she's not seen them for a while. That's Anne. But one other thing about Anne. A few years ago, she became a Christian. And since then, she's lived with the question that won't go away. How can I be used by God? She's looked around church, but it's not so easy to know what she can offer. She can't play a musical instrument, 
doesn't want to get involved in children's work, hasn't enough experience to lead a small group, and would only be asked to sing if she were the last person left on Earth. However, she's part of the crash road team because she has a nice smile, she's part of the welcome team. But to her, it all feels too little. She's fallen into the trap that loads of us fall into, of thinking that God only wants to use us in activities that are linked to church programmes. But the reality is that Anne has front lines all around her. Places where she spends much of her time, where God has already placed her, and where he's using her to make a difference. At work, at home, in cafes, in aerobic classes. She's surrounded by people that God loves and she could pray for, drop the in the odd word, continue to love in practical ways and really make a difference. This is her mission field. These are the strategic places where God has placed her. This is her front line. So here's the question. What would she feel about her life if she realised that in fact this ordinary life is no ordinary life at all? She'd still be the taxi driver for the kids on the back seat, but she'd see that her calling as a parent goes far beyond caring. She'd realise that she's the best teacher these kids will ever have about how to live the unnatural life as a Christian. Unnatural forgiveness, unnatural grace, unnatural mercy all need to be seen to be believed. But when seen, they'll never forget the power of this memory used by God. At work, she might not feel hugely important. After all, she's not running the school. The truth is, she's far more significant than that. She's an agent of the kingdom, the kingdom whose king rules the universe. As she works diligently, she's already demonstrating the difference that being a Christian can make to life. And when some of the big questions of life come up, as they do from time to time, she's got real wisdom to share, used by God. And when she's with her friends, she talks about her life and faith with humour, honesty and a welcome sense of normality. And she's praying that her friends would join her in her faith in Jesus, used by God. And whilst their aerobic classes are no place to be singing Shine Jesus Shine, whilst desperately fighting for breath, it continues to do her good. She feels just a little bit more alive at the end of each session and goes home with a, just a touch more resilience as she mediates between children wanting to watch different channels on the same TV, used by God. And Anne wonders how God could use her. Anne, look around you. This is your front line, the front line that God wants to use you on, the one he's placed you in, the one that he's using to form you into the shape of Jesus. It's the front line that's unique to you. Because there's no one exactly like Anne, is there? Except Reg, who retired years ago, and Beth, who's at college having a great time, and Kwame in the bank, and Nicola, who's looking for a job, and Graham and Elaine, who's just had a baby, and Sharon, and Zoe, and Matt, and Danielle, and Susan, and Tony, and Paul, and... and... you. Yes, Lord, we declare that there is no one like you. You are the King of Kings. You are the supreme ruler over everything, and we are so thankful for that, Lord, that we live in a space where you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and we live in your goodness and in your grace. Thank you that we can gather together today, and we thank you for your presence with us in Jesus' name. Amen. So our mission as the church is to do what Jesus said, and that is to go and make disciples. That means that the church is organized around this task of going to make disciples. And so our individual lives are also organized around that task that Jesus gave us. Jesus didn't just give that task to the church as a collective. He gave it to each of us individually also to go and make disciples. So just like Anne, every one of us, every day, we are out there. We're living our lives. And uh, we are, first of all, 
Living lives as disciples, as followers of Christ, learning what it means to be a follower of Christ and growing in every area of our life and in the whole totality of our life as a follower of Christ. And that's why we talk about being whole life disciples. But not only are we followers of Christ, but we also go and make followers of Christ. And by make, it doesn't mean that we force people. It means that we influence, that we, that we present Christ in a compelling way to others. And that's what we do every day in our lives also. And we do that on our front line. So welcome to this series that is entitled Our Frontline Series. And we're going to be talking about what our front lines are, those places where we go and live every day to go and show Jesus to the world, to be the salt, to be the light. Every one of us, every day, we are out there in different contexts. What is a frontline? A frontline is that place where you and I find ourselves and where we can show Jesus to the world, where we can see God's kingdom being built. Um, and that's you know, every aspect of our lives, where we find ourselves, that is our frontline. The Bible is filled with stories about people living lives on the frontline. And I want to tell you one story like that today, a very familiar story that comes from the book of Ruth. I know the ladies are very familiar with the book of Ruth. They've been studying the book of Ruth this year. But I want to introduce you to a character that we find in the book of Ruth. Now, just if you're not so familiar with the story, let me just recap it for you quickly. The book of Ruth is about Ruth, um, a, a, a lady that finds herself in a very difficult time. Uh, alongside the uh, secondary character of the book is Naomi, her mother-in-law. And both of them are finding life very difficult. They both lost their husbands, lost their families. And they're now living around Bethlehem, which for Ruth is a foreign land. She comes from Moab uh, with her mother-in-law, Naomi. And they're living in a context where they're actually quite destitute. Um, they, they don't even have enough to feed themselves. Life has been so hard for them that Naomi actually is telling people to call her Mara, not Naomi. Mara meaning bitter. She's saying life has been so, has become bitter for me. So they're in a very difficult place. To the point where we, we pick up the story in Ruth 2, verse 2, where we read that Ruth one a day decides she has to go out looking for food and to see what she can gather. And uh, so let's read verse 2 to 3 of Ruth 2. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain from behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out into the field and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Himelech. Now, the, the, the practice of gleaning is not something we're so familiar with today, but what that literally was is in those days, how they allowed poor people, people that were looking for food, to get some form of food and sustenance is when they harvested, like in this case, grain and barley, then whatever was left behind on the field, the harvesters would allow others to come and pick that up for their own use and to feed themselves. And so Naomi's and Ruth is at this point where they're desperate and just looking for something to eat. So Ruth goes out and she goes to look for a field where she can glean, where, where the harvesters are busy and she can get pick up some, some grain and some barley so that she can make some food for them. Now, I love what the scripture says here in this very unassuming way. It says, as it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz. And Boaz is the character I want to introduce you to today. Uh, Boaz is a great example for us of somebody that living their life on their front line 
to see the kingdom of God, to represent God's value system in the space that they find themselves. Um, Boaz, as we know, is, is a businessman of the day. Now, just like many other businessmen, most business people of those days were people that worked lands, that had pieces of ground, and they were planting and harvesting. They were farming. And he was a, he was a farmer. And uh, he had a field. And the scripture says it happened, so happened. Now, we know by reading the story that this wasn't an accident. This was actually God's providence, that Ruth landed on the field of Boaz because Boaz recognized something, that his field was not just to be a resource that could help him make money and make a living and buy the things that he wants in life, but that his field could actually be a front line where somebody could experience the kingdom of God where somebody could live uh, and find the, the love and the grace and the goodness of God if he used it in the right way. And therefore, the way Boaz not only treated his field and what he did there, but the people that worked on his field was different. And so Ruth happens to be on the field of a person that understands that this field is a front line. It's a place where the kingdom of God can be experienced by somebody else. So she, there she is, on the field, just doing what other people do, gleaning, picking up uh, whatever she can behind the harvesters. In verse 5 we read, Boaz asked the overseer of the harvesters, Who does that young woman belong to? This, the overseer replied, She is the Moabite who came back from Noab with Naomi. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. Ruth was soon to discover that she wasn't just on any field. She was on somebody's front line. Because as Boaz was watching and just seeing people glean, he noticed her. It's a young woman, probably noticed that she's a bit different. You know, she's a Moabite. And uh, he asks the question, who is this? And they tell her that this woman, who she is, a little bit of the history, and she's been working really hard, cleaning, working very hard. Now, that could have been just a normal day where she went home and got some food for perhaps the next, for that day and the next couple of days. And then a few days later, she'd have to be out there again, trying to see what field she can land up on. But she landed on a field of a man that had a different approach to life that viewed things from a different perspective. And so when he noticed her, when he heard the story, when he saw how hard she worked, he started responding. And he saw an opportunity to step into a space and to help somebody experience the kingdom of God. Isn't it wonderful that Ruth ended up on the field of a person that understood the value of work, that wanted to reward hard work, that wanted to... Make somebody experience that there's hope, that there's possibility. So we read forward, further in verse 8. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work with me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I've told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars that have been filled. So what Boaz does is he comes to Ruth and he says to her, listen, I, I, I've noticed you, I see you, 
And I want you to experience a place of safety, a place of security, and a place where you will be provided for. Doesn't that sound like the kingdom of God? Doesn't that sound like God's heart towards us? So he's turning his field into a front line, into an experience of the kingdom of God. He, he not only allows her to glean, but he actually, in a way, offers her a job, gives her security, says you don't have to go look around at other fields. You don't have to bounce around. You, you're okay here. You can glean here. You can actually work with the people that work with me. He, he offers her protection, and he offers her value and dignity right in that space. So in that moment, can you, can you see it with me? That, that field, like, just like many other fields around, is turned into a front line, into an, a moment where somebody is experiencing the values of the kingdom of God. Because Boaz was a follower of God. Boaz had that value system in him. And he wanted to use every opportunity he could and the context where he found himself to, to glorify God, to be a place where God's name is worshipped and exalted. And that's what he did on that field that day. In our language, we could easily refer to Boaz as a whole life disciple, a whole life worshiper that understood the context where he finds himself is his front line. And that's where he can make a difference to people. And he valued work. He valued the work that he could do as an offering of worship to the Lord. I love the way Ruth chapter 2 ends. When Ruth goes home and she reports her experiences of the day to Naomi, her mother-in-law. And Naomi's response is the following. She says, Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the woman who worked for him. Because in someone else's field, you might be harmed. People are being harmed all over this world. In many fields where people are going into to just eke out a living, to, to live their lives, they're being harmed. God has called us to take our places of influence and to turn them into places where people can experience the love and the grace and the kindness and the goodness of God. We can turn our fields, places where we have influence, into front lines. Won't you join me right now? We're going to watch... As Neil Hudson, a friend of ours from the London Institute of Contemporary Christianity, is going to talk to us a bit more about what a front line is and, and, and the value of work and working on our front line. So just join me as we watch this clip right now. Greetings to all of you who are part of Hatfield Christian Church. A while ago, before the whole world closed down, folks from your church talked to me about the prospect of coming to be with you. I've got to tell you, my wife was so excited by that idea, there was no way she was going to miss that trip. Today, she's not so excited because instead of me being with you, I'm here, about a mile or so from where I live, in Salford, in a place called Salford Keys. Salford's a city in the northwest of England. It's literally next door to a larger city called Manchester. You've probably heard of this place, our local team. But it's all part of a wider picture here. 
a place that's changed dramatically over the last 30 years. Although the regeneration has been absolutely astounding, if you look closely, there are still memories of its original purpose. This was a place of heavy work, busy, noisy, dirty, dangerous work. When the ships came in from all over the world with their goods and then left again, stacked high with exports. That world's changed and now Salford receives and exports ideas all across the world through the media companies that have made this place their home. It's still a place of work and it's still a place where many followers of Jesus offer their gifts back to God as they create programs, offer sports reports, work in the offices, work in the cafes, work in the bars. These are the front lines of their daily lives. These are the places where they offer their worship to God. It's where they live out their vocation every day of the week, which in part explains why we work in the first place. For lots of people, the simple answer to the simple question, why do we work, is because we have to. How else will we earn enough money to live? And that can shape the meaning of work if we're not careful. But there's a clue here about how that meaning has changed over the last century. This was Salford Royal Technical Institute. It was built at the end of the 19th century and it was large enough to house 2,000 students who would learn the skills that would be used in local industries. Things like mechanics and engineering, joinery and building construction, drawing, weaving, painting, cookery. But look how they presented that to the rest of the world. That sense of the care and the pride of learning the intrinsic value of what was being taught. They presented their work almost like a piece of art. But look how we attract students now. It's about ambition. It feels less about what we'll contribute to others and much more about what we'll get for ourselves. Less about the intrinsic value of the work itself and more about how work will allow us to climb the ladder. Less about skill, more about upward mobility. Of course, it's easy to romanticise all of this. The late 19th century, early 20th century were hard places. And while there were students learning their arts here, there were also men queuing up for a day's work where they'd risk their lives on Salford Quays. But I do think the aspirations of this approach to life, of work being not only something that you did to, to look after yourself, but was there for the sake of others, represents something that's closer to the biblical picture of work. So why do we work? Yes, we are called to provide for our own needs and those around us. And Paul had harsh words for those who refuse to work and those who try and sponge off others. This is what Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 
In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who's idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, labouring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this, not because we don't have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who's unwilling to work shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They're not busy, they're busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. He didn't mince his words, did he? He reminded them that he'd been a model, working hard, giving his time to them freely so that no one could accuse them of being freeloaders. So his challenge to the church was to make sure that they didn't allow people to sponge off one another through being work shy. We have an honourable responsibility to provide for ourselves, our families, and so that we're able to give back to the wider community. But there are other reasons we work. We are stewarding the earth. God gave Adam and Eve a palace garden to look after with just one intention, work it and care for it. Take all the basic ingredients of all that's been created and care for one another and care for the earth itself. So when I go to a restaurant and I eat some brilliant meal that someone's prepared for me, I recognise my interdependence. Someone's done something for me that I couldn't have done for myself. And the extent to which they've been able to do that ethically or as ethically as they can, well, it's easy to rejoice there because we've cared for the earth and we've cared for one another. But think about all it takes for me to enjoy that meal. It involves some folks who built my car so that I could get there. The people who created the fuel that I could drive it. The people who served me at the garage as I filled it up. The people who built the, the building in which the restaurant's in. The people who created the tables and the chairs. The musicians who put together the soundtrack and the artists who put art on the wall so that there's a certain ambience in that place. Not forgetting the guys who met me at the door, took me to the table, served me, cooked for me, washed up after me, who cleaned the place when everybody else had gone. When I take notice of all of that, I begin to realise just how rich this interdependence is. We are part of a massive, creative network of people who use their skills, their time, their service, and it allows me to eat one meal. And to the extent that all this is done with love allows me to receive it as an act of love. That's why we work. We choose to offer our part to that of everyone else. I work because I need to and I want to play my part in this rich tapestry. But there's more and it's related to being a Jesus follower. So I work because as a Christian, it's one of the ways I can glorify God. It is literally 
part of my worship. When Paul wrote to the household servants, he encouraged them to the work to the best of their ability by allowing them to see that the things that they had responsibility for, although they were working for someone, ultimately it was to the Lord. It was an act of worship. And the Lord who received those daily acts of service, the education of the children, doing the washing, running errands, cooking the meals, well, he would reward them. This is what Paul wrote. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eyes on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord not for human masters, since you know that you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It's the Lord Christ you're serving. So we work because it's a way we can provide for ourselves and those around us. We work because we are interdependent. We need each other. And we work because in doing so, we can glorify God. But how do we work really well? How do we ensure it becomes worship? Essentially, I think it boils down to two ways that reveal our character. We can choose to work consistently and we can choose to work courageously. In terms of a consistent approach to work, we'll choose to model godly character. That is, we'll consciously allow the fruit of the Spirit to be worked out in the context of our everyday workplaces. Our prayer will be that our natural responses will be typified by the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, and the rest of them. These virtues may not always be valued, but when they're seen, they're incredibly attractive. And our prayer is that we'll do our work really well. Literally, we will make good work. We won't cut corners, we won't offer shoddy work. We'll do the tasks as well as we can. We won't be driven by an unreasonable perfectionism, but we'll be determined to offer our best. And we'll minister grace and love to those around us, no matter how difficult they may be with us. It's that sense of, of turning up every day and people knowing where they stand with you. It's kind of like, what they see is what they'll always get. Lord, make us those sort of consistent people. And we'll also work with courage. Because there'll be times when we need to mould the culture of our workplace. And that sort of change is never easy. There'll be times when we might need to put our head above the parapet to take a stand for truth and justice. Blowing that whistle is never easy. And there'll be many times where we'll have opportunities to let people know who we are and what we stand for and why we are as we are. And in those times, we'll become messengers of the gospel. All of these things will never come into play all at the same time on every day. But over a lifetime of working, well, we'll be able to look back and go, we serve the Lord 
We offered our workers worship. We produced good work and we lived well and we took a stand for him. We will be conscious of having been faithful over many years. This is why the issue of work matters to you and your whole church. And it's why the next step you're gonna to take together as a church is exploring some of these aspects of how we work, what we do there in your context, in a South African context, in your particular workplace context. Not only are you God's workmanship, but you've been sent into the workplace to the very particular places where day by day you live out the implications of the gospel. These places are your front lines, the context where you engage with the wider world, the places that the Lord has placed you, the places where you show what a Christian looks like, a place where people may well be intrigued by Jesus because of the way you work. These front lines are your primary ministry places. So my prayer is that you'll know God's rich blessing there. That as you serve him in your workplace, on your front lines, not only will you know his presence, but you'll know his power as he works through you, as you work for him. Blessings on you all. Isn't that fantastic? Thank you, Neil, for sharing that with us. We so appreciate your insights. Uh, Neil's been a great friend to us over our journeys as we've been learning about these things, and, and LICC have just really been helping us, so we really value that input. And I trust that, you, that there's much in that that he shared with us that has been stirring you. So I want to invite you to join us on a journey. Over the next six weeks, we're going to be talking about front lines. Today, we try to just explain what they are, and, and where they are. But from, from next week on, we're going to talk about how do we go and live in our front lines and to go and make disciples, to share the kingdom of God with people. It's going to be an exciting journey that we're going to have together over the next six weeks. We're going to have different speakers every week that's going to introduce the topics to you, that's going to share things with you about uh, the, what we call the six M's, which are the, the six uh, steps that we can take or, or six things we can do in our front line to make our fields become a front line. Um, and then we're going to hear great stories recorded from people right in our community that are living some of these six M's in their particular frontline contexts and are being used by the Lord. Uh, so it's going to be a, a fun time together. And I want to invite you to join us, be part of that. One of the ways you can do that is we're also going to be discussing these things in our community groups. So join your community group and uh, be part of the journey there and, and, and dig into it a little bit deeper. If you're not part of a community group, this may be a great time to join a community group group, make some new friends, and also just grow in your intentionality around your front line. Then another way that you can do that, I want to invite you to, to today or whenever you have an opportunity, go to any of our social media platforms and you download uh, from the social media platform the, the frontline prayer. And in the frontline prayer, you'll begin to get a little bit more familiar with the six M's and what they're all about and begin to pray that prayer and prepare your heart for the working of the Holy Spirit over this season, over this series, for you to grow in the context where God finds you. That's the amazing thing that each of us 
are being used by the Lord all over this city, all over this nation, all over this world. We are being used by God in our front lines and we are seeing the kingdom advance. I want to read for you Romans 12 verse 1 from the message. Uh, uh, Eugene Peterson puts it in such a lovely way. He says, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. That's what we want to do. That's what we want to give our lives. You may be a stay-at-home mom. Your work is to disciple those children. That's, that's part of what you do. You may have other front lines also, but that's a front line where you are working to see the kingdom of God come. You, you may be employed you know, uh, in a formal employment or be, have your own business. That's part of your front line where you can work to see the kingdom of God come. You, you may be in an informal uh, sector, uh, working as a street vendor or, or, or as, a, as a recycle operator or whatever it may be, but that could be your front line, that where, God, where the value of work as worship to God can make a difference in this world. You could be unemployed and you still have a front line. You still have a place where you are connecting with people and where you can make a difference and where your life can be that which brings the kingdom of God. We all have fields that we operate in that can become our front lines. So join us over the next six weeks as we together grow and learn about how to live the gospel and the kingdom of God in our front lines. So I want to pray with you as we embark on this journey and trust the Holy Spirit for his working among us. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you. Thank you that each of us has a purpose, has value in your kingdom. Thank you that the work we do matters, Lord, that the work we do can be worship unto you, can create spaces where people can experience you and your value system. And so I pray for every one of us, Lord. It's challenging. It may be hard at times. But I pray for the working of the Holy Spirit in us, for the empowering of the Holy Spirit in our lives, that over this six weeks, as we talk about these issues and as we learn about our front lines, that you will be present with us, that you will strengthen us, that you will guide us, that you will lead us, that you will comfort us, and that you will encourage us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that this is for all of us, every single one of us, that we have a role to play. And we thank you for that and for your grace in Jesus' name. Amen. May the Lord bless you. We'll see you next week.